This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Kota Kinabalu is most well-known to most of us as the gateway to Kinabalu National Park, especially for those who want to climb out Mount Kinabalu. But how often do we look at it and appreciate it as the capital city of Sabah? How do we ensure that as the city continues to grow and to urbanise, you know, it is one that is inclusive and accessible to all? So on the show with me to discuss this today is Rashida Kamaluddin, the founder and managing director of Kota Kita. Welcome to the show, Rashida. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Suanne. Pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure to have you on. And there was also World Cities Day yesterday. So, you know, what better occasion to discuss today's topic? Um, so maybe I can get you to start by telling me a bit about Kota Kita, right? What is it? Um, how do you get started? Right. Um, so Kota Kita is best in Sabah at the moment. So we were established just very recently, which was on March 2021. Um, and currently we have 22 members um, in the in the NGO. And um, how we started, well, it started with my own fellowship with uh, fellow parliament Malaysia um, last year. And under that fellowship program, we have to conduct our own advocacy project with the help of at least like 10 volunteers to assist us. So like I announced this um, advocacy idea in Twitter and then um, spoke to a few friends. So like 15 people answered to the call wow. um, and we carry on the project together. And Within this program, we uh, conducted the first project, which was was Walk KK. And because of the lockdown, it was supposed to be a physical one. Mm -hmm. But because of the lockdown, then we had to divert to a virtual one. But um, due to the creativity of it, we won a grant under the program. And we keep moving forward from there on um, and establish ourselves as an NGO that uh, was registered with ROS. And... Yeah, so basically the whole idea of the NGO is to advocate for community-based city and regional planning, particularly in Sabah, mm -hmm. that is people-centric. Mm. So tell me more about that, right? Why is that something that's important to you and why the focus on Sabah? Well, um, basically because we hope to draw more attention to Sabah. When it comes to like... Um, discussion regarding architecture or mm -hmm. city planning is always tend to be more focused on the peninsula side. So what we want to draw here is to undunk Borneo about the lack of infrastructure. Particularly, we can see this during the pandemic COVID-19 in the beginning of it, um, where was also coincidentally the time where we were established. And we saw all these difficulties of getting the um, help and assistance and healthcare into certain Sabah regional area. So we think it's important to draw more attention to Sabah. And particularly why Kota Kinabalu is because we think it's a good starting point. It has a lot of potential to be more livable and more workable. We have experts um, as well in KK that are interested to be part of the conversation. And also we think that the people deserve a better city. It's not just a place of business. It's supposed to be a comfortable, enjoyable place that they can move around as a family together mm -hmm. safely. Um, but I think a lot of um, us do not realize the potential of it. So what we want to help here is to envision it together with the people. And then we can demand for a better livable city together as a united front. Hmm. And I'll get to, you know, how you view um, KK and uh, Kota Kinabalu in a bit. But tell me more about the people who are part of Kota Kita. You mentioned there's about 22 of you. Um, you know, I know that you yourself come from an architectural background, but what about the others in the team? Tell me more about them. 
Right. Um, yeah, so I was from architecture background and currently studying uh, urban planning. Whereas for the team, uh, another 21 of us out of those 21, there are four from architecture and the rest are very diverse. So <laughs> there are those from law, environment, mathematics and economics. We have engineering. Um, interestingly, those from psychology as well, mm. risk disaster management, marine conservation, web development wow. um, and coding that is like sort of our go-to IT person. We have public policy, um, uh, human resource, creative industry. So I will say that the diversity within the team is our strength mm -hmm. because we can always talk to each other about things that help us to see things from a different perspective. And even though I'm from urban planning, but then there are also a lot of things that I wasn't aware of because I always see it from the point of view as an urban planner. Mm -hmm. But then I have a team that will call me out and tell Shida, um, you know, there are other ways of viewing things. So it has been really interesting um, working with them. Mm. And what brings all of you together is that love for, for Sabah, right? For Kiki and wanting to make a difference there. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> You know, many of our listeners, I think, might not be um, familiar with Kota Kinabalu or maybe have just gone there for short holidays, um, you know. But what? how would you describe the city from your eyes? You know, what, what, what do you love about it or what makes it unique to you? I would say Kota Kinabalu is serene, um, very diverse. Um, well, when we talk about maybe the physical aspect of it is that KK is located very close to the coastal area. So there's like uh, beaches along the way as well. And then we can bike through along the coastal area. Um, and then the city itself is diverse in a way that, um, well, I love to walk. So when I walk around uh, KK, sometimes we will stumble to certain uh, stalls that sell like cultural, traditional cultural um, crowds. And it, these small things actually add up to the character of the city itself. It brings certain kind of uniqueness. And even when we move around the city, we are able to see um, people coming from diverse um, race and culture. It's nice to see that diversity. Um, and I particularly love the, um, the all part of the city, which mm -hmm. is called Gaya Street. So during Sunday, there's always going to be Sunday market that sells a lot of traditional crafts as well. And then again, the diversity can be seen there. So I would say maybe the keyword is diversity. Yes. There seems to be a very strong sense of community there in KK. Is that right? Do you see that? Well, yeah, in certain parts of the city, yes. But this is where um, the urban planning and also the physical infrastructure comes in, where it plays a huge role mm -hmm. in making sure that community feel belong in certain areas. They can actually gather there and just sit there and feel at peace. Yes. Hmm. So how much would you say has changed or has not changed in Sabah, you know, over the past years from what you've seen? Well, in the city itself, um, there are not much of changes, I would mm -hmm. say. But then we can see that there has been more sprawling out of the city where like uh, more residential houses are developed away from the city. While in the city itself, there are, of course, um, few real estate development, but it is more focused on the luxurious part and it caters for the high income population or expats. And when we talk about things that have not changed, but supposed to have changed for mm -hmm. the past weekends, uh, we would say public transportation. So currently in Sabah, when you come here, you can actually still see minibuses 
We oh, still wow. use minibuses. <laughs> we don't have proper terminal for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no proper scheduling or information on the route. So it's a bit of like an explorer's when you move around the city with public <laughs> transportation. Um, yeah, but that is something that we hope to see change over the next years. How does all of that, you know, the, the fact that you see, uh, you say there's an imbalance in terms of more development in the more, more luxurious side of um, the city that caters more to um, the, the higher income group, right? How does that affect the lives of Sabahans and people living in KK? This again relates back to employment because most of the employment would basically be in the city. Mm-hmm. So this becomes a hurdle for people within the medium and low income um, to be able to commute to their um, employment areas. And this becomes a trouble because it adds up to the traffic jam again. This relates again back to the public transportation, the lack of public transportation. So it's very uh, related to each other. And because of the traffic jam, lack of public transportation and the fact that people have to travel a very long way um, every single day, this adds up to the mental stress as well. So it affects um, the people of Sabah on many layers. Besides public transportation, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of, I guess, major issues that you've seen in KK, which you know have stemmed from or are linked to um, this issue of urban planning? Okay, aside of public transportation, perhaps we would say uh, um, the lack of public spaces as well. Mm-hmm. So the public spaces as in um, small pocket parks or big parks in general. Even these parks um, are not situated in a way that it is deep, distributed evenly among the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, people and kids in general with the technology <laughs> that has been booming recently um, have this tendency to just stay at home instead mm-hmm. of going out because there are no facilities out there. This also affects us I think potentially in the coming future um, because kids are have this tendency to stay at home instead of going out there and see the world in different perspective. Mm. You want them to really appreciate the city that they're living in, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Because when you go out there, then only then you're able to observe and see different things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And of course, converse with strangers. Um, you know, when you see... Uh, maybe an old grandpa sitting on the bench and perhaps be able to approach them and start a conversation. This also creates better community bonding uh, within the neighbourhood. Hmm. Definitely think that's something that we've lost in many cities um, across the world, across Malaysia, that we don't talk to people enough. Um, let's go for a quick break now, Rashida, and continue this conversation when we come back. You know, I do want to ask you about um, some demands that Kota Kita has put out as well that you'd like to see from political parties ahead of GE15. So on the show with me today is Rashida Kamaludin, founder and managing director of Kota Kita, and we are talking about how we can um, make the city of Kota Kinabalu a more inclusive and accessible one for all. We'll continue our discussion after a quick break on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Suan. On the show with me today is Rashida Kamaludin, founder and managing director of Kota Kita, an NGO that is based in Kota Kinabalu, Sabah, um, and their focus is advocating for a more um, inclusive and accessible um 
perspective on urban planning in Sabah with a particular focus on Kota Kinabalu. And that's what we want to highlight today, you know, the, the, the city that is Kota Kinabalu. And before the break, Rashida was sharing um, what the city looks like from her perspective. Um, now, Rashida, you were previously based here, um, having done your degree in UM in KL, I understand. Um, and then now you're also based in Melbourne, another very big city um, in Australia. I guess what differences have you seen, you know, having lived lived in these different cities compared to um, Kota Kinabalu in Sabah, right? What differences have you seen in terms of city planning? Um, yeah, so the, maybe the obvious stuff difference I can see is between the cooperation between different sectors. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm learning architecture and urban planning in different parts of the city. So in here, uh, I can see that um, there is a strong cooperation between the authorities the industry experts, academia and civil society, and also the community in Melbourne. Because the thing is, urban planning is not merely the responsibility of just one single sector. Um, it should be uh, it should be a collaboration, mm -hmm. and everybody should be given the opportunity um, to have a say. So um, it helps to see various type of pers um, perspective, and. Even here in um, Melbourne, while I'm studying urban planning, I have been given the opportunity to engage with all of these sectors. And, and we can see um, even the old people, particularly like grandpas and grandmas, are involved in shaping the city. They want to have a say. They're actually given the opportunity to have a say, to shape their own city. And in KL, um, I can see that it is actually growing. Uh, but urban planning, again, is still such a niche topic and uh, citizens are not aware of how much they can um, contribute to the change and they are barely given the opportunity to do so. But you um, can already see that a lot of advocacy groups have been mushrooming, developing, in, uh, particularly in Peninsula. But in Sabah, it is almost non-existent. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have an academia industry to be part of any of this collaboration because we don't have any built environment faculty here. Sabah, which could have contributed to more research and fieldworks in Sabah. So the key point here, I think, is the cooperation between different sectors. Hmm. Now, I saw on your website that Kota Kita advocates for um, inclusive regional city development that promotes accessibility, walkability and sustainability. What would that look like, you know, in Sabah if something like that were considered on the ground, right? What sort of, I guess, who are the stakeholders that you'd like to be involved? What kind of issues would you like to be addressed? At the moment, um, the main group that Kota Kita has been engaging a lot with is person with disability in the aging community. And we have also engaged uh, with random people on the streets, um, those in public in um, public transportation, and um, also those who are in the cycling community. So these are the stakeholders that we have identified so far. But of course, there are a lot more, such as those um, in the indigenous community, for example. The way we see how it is, should be translated is um, more into the data-driven part of it. Mm -hmm. Because um, in Kota Kita, we have um, done a program called Tarakita, where we where we collect the data together with the OKU community on the level of accessibility in Kota Kinabalu. So we conducted this access review on ground. And um, from that one program, we have collected data. And of course, 
our research data analysis is very small scale due to limited resources. But mm -hmm. we believe that this data that we have gained on ground and with the affected community, this can inform better city planning to identify the things that are often overlooked. And this can also inform policy making. So policy with well-informed strategy can make a huge difference um, in city planning. Um, and this data should be much more open to the public as well. So everybody from various backgrounds are able to access it and perhaps can contribute to it. Hmm. I've seen you emphasized, uh, you know, you you and Kota Kita emphasized a lot on the on the aspects of accessibility, walkability, and sustainability. Why is it important to you to be inclusive to parts of the community, like persons with disabilities and the aging community? Because I feel like, um, you know, sometimes what we hear from other people that is being inclusive is it's like doing a favor for certain groups of people, but that shouldn't be the case, right? It should be inclusive. Um, why is that important to you? Yeah, definitely. So I, I agree with you. It is important because an inclusive city for person with disability or aging community is an inclusive city for all. A pathway or even a building that is accessible for person with disability will be accessible for everybody, regardless of any physical immobility. And it's important to also engage with them because they live with the experience. So for example, when we as an able body see a ramp, we just see it as a ramp to us. Mm -hmm. But even a slight increase of a gradient of that ramp makes it very impossible for a person with disability to use it. It's something that we are not aware of. And then because of that, we also need to be able to learn these new perspectives from them, from them and also to unlearn many biases and stigma. And um, on the other hand, about the aging community, um, well, we are all bound to get old. You and me are going to get old. Our parents as well. And for me, it's becoming more personal because I see how um, difficult for my um, family members in all their age to move around the city. Mm -hmm. And they should be able to move around the city together with their family because it's supposed to be inclusive. It's supposed to be able to um, help them to have a good life regardless of their age. And um, statistically, in Malaysia, people over 65 years old is projected to triple from 2 million to 6 million in 2040. So mm -hmm. yes, we need to address the needs now. We need to start now. How inclusive or accessible would you say KK is at the moment? Well, I would say um, in the city centre, it is quite accessible. In certain um, shopping malls, it is accessible. But if we move towards areas outside of the city, it is almost impossible for person with mm. disability to move. It's quite common, I think, for us to hear, um, for us here in Peninsula Malaysia to hear from um, activists, advocacy groups um, in Sabah and Sarawak that the needs of, um, you know, these two states are often neglected compared to Peninsula Malaysia. Is that sort of the sentiment that you share or you've seen? In Kota Kita, um, we all share those same sentiments, but we also often have this discussion within my team. Mm -hmm. And um, what we see is that it is still quite a bit unfair to compare um, Sabah Sarawak and Peninsula mm -hmm. because there are also a lot of stats in Peninsula that are left behind in mm -hmm. Sabah. In Peninsula, often the cities that we always refer to are like KL, Johor Bahru, Penang. Those are the very developed cities. Yep. 
But we, on the other hand, also agree that um, Sabah is left behind. Um, not trying to compare to any particular states, um, but yes, it is left behind. And um, while we were having this discussion within my team, um, Sakila, one of our member, pointed out um, one matter regarding public transportation where the debates in KL, for example, about public transportation is more about pushing for the efficiency of rapid KL from five minutes to three minutes. Mm -hmm. But for us in Sabah, we are not able to be to relate to that conversation because we don't even have a good public transportation at all, nor do we have any well-connected road in rural areas. So uh, these are issues that have been spoken of for many, many years, but it has not been addressed. So that's why we feel left behind. And when it comes to addressing it, the biggest challenge that we see is again on budget allocation. Mm. So the budget allocation that has been determined by Ministry of Finance, the Cabinet and Prime Minister Department are often insufficient for Sabah. I, I'm not able to say much about Sarawak because I'm not really exactly familiar with it, but mm -hmm. for Sabah, it is often insufficient. Especially for Sabah, they are among the most top populated states in the country. And we also have like huge land coverage that requires more connectivity. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about the budget allocation, another thing that we want to see is actually transparency on how the budget is spent. Because if only we know the accountability and the transparency of it, then we know where the money goes. Um, then perhaps if the budget is allocated in a much more transparent, in better way, then we are able to catch up with other states, with other cities as well. Mm. And, and infrastructure is such a huge issue um, from what I've heard from a lot of um, activists from East Malaysia, including in Sabah. And, and, and really that transparency is key, right? If you know where the money goes, then you know where you need to pour in more money as well. And that helps in terms of policy making. And if we look to a smaller scale in city planning as well, which is so vital. Um, so I know that Kota Kita recently released um, nine official demands um, that you are putting forth for political parties to consider in their manifesto. Perhaps, Rashida, could you briefly walk me through what those nine demands are? Right, sure. Um, so the first demand is on walkability. So what we, what we want from walkability is uh, development and provision of safe and user-friendly infrastructure, such as the basic things, such as the walkway, zebra mm. crossing, elevated walkway, and traffic lights. And we also hope to see there are more initiatives towards moving a more walkable city that is 15 minute city concept uh, with proper mixed use development and um, to see more creative rejuvenation of street activation programs that enhance the comfort and the safety for pedestrians. And the second demand is on accessibility. So accessibility and walkability is very closely related, but accessibility is viewing more on the perspective of person with disability, the elderly, the aging community, where um, the infrastructure should be able to cater for them. And to, to get into this is also to encourage education and awareness on accessibility design guidelines among the designers, developers, and built environment industry experts. And the third, third point is um, the hugely emphasized aspect, which is public transportation in Sabah. And we actually met um, polling of voting um, on our social media, asking people about which is the first thing that should be addressed. Mm -hmm. And most of them said uh, 
70% said public transportation. So it is a huge issue. And what we want to see is to have um, efficient and reliable public transportation system that complete with first and last mile option, such as scooter and also bike share. And we want to see that our city bus service are not just minibuses, mm -hmm. but also revamp and improve under one management that are able to provide a centralized coordination system, such as proper scheduling, routes, amenities, and maintenance. And the fourth demand is affordable housing, whereby the, uh, the development of affordable housing with good infrastructure, road and public transport networks that cater especially to low to middle income citizens are provided. And we want also to able to see that the planning control on luxury real estate development that mainly to target non-citizens mm -hmm. are enforced. And the fifth demand is public spaces. We want to see more um, incentive in developing more public spaces, such as parks, street furniture, playgrounds, and community gardens. The sixth demand is inclusive development. And this mainly goes to um, including people from marginalized groups, such as uh, person with disability, elderly, maybe indigenous, and women, and also youth in development and planning process. And the seventh demand is risk-informed development. We want an incorporation of holistic risk government governance in current and future developmental project and formation of special risk governance committee to assess development plans that uphold people's best interests and also resilient infrastructure that are able to withstand the risk and threat of climate change especially since now in Sabah we have seen that uh, the flooding are much much more frequent mm -hmm. not just in Sabah in Malaysia in general mm -hmm. and then this from development shouldn't just be um, local con in local context but also on the wider and bigger context as well. The ad demand is transparency and accountability, whereby all policies, plans, and strategic documents relating to the development and public infrastructure of the state need to be released to the public in an easy access format. And the information of the project progress, uh, such as the physical aspect and the financial, shall be made available to the public, especially mm -hmm. for public infrastructure projects. Uh, this is to ensure that um, we are able to keep count of the things that are ongoing in the project and to ensure the timeline has been met as well. And the ac accountability shouldn't just be on the developers, but also on those who have approved the project as well. The ninth demand is clean water and reliable electricity supplies. The most basic things should be addressed. Mm -hmm. The water and electricity disruption issue in Sabah has always been very frequent um, for the many, many decades. And it's time that this is to be addressed um, and made reliable and available to all residents of Sabah, no matter whereby you're in the city or in the rural, it should be provided. Mm. So those are our nine demands. And, um, you know, as a final wrap-up message, right, what do you want the Rakyat to look out for in um, political parties and in, in, in candidates' manifestos? Well, um... The issues are always very wide. It's always there in every single manifesto. It seems like every year, every single general election um, is addressing certain issue. But I guess the most important thing to see is how feasible and realistic it is. It is easy to say that 
um, we will do this mm-hmm. instead of actually putting those actions into words. So we want to see if they are to write up certain uh, manifesto, are they are actually able to achieve it or are they just saying it because they want to win? And the second question to see is how will this affect the future generation? Because a single manifesto um, would not just run for five years. It will affect for many, many years to come. And another thing is that ensuring that once the elected government started to serve, we need to keep them in check like, mm-hmm. and reminding them the promises they have met. And these are and they need to be accountable to deliver it. All right. And um, if people are interested in the work that Kota Kita is doing, right, where can they find you on your social media platforms? Well, um, we use the same social media handle for our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook is Kota Kita Sabah. And we have also have our um, website, which is kotakita.org.my. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rashida. Thank you, Anne. I've been speaking to Rashida Kamaludin, founder and managing director of Kota Kita, on how we can um, make urban planning a more inclusive process with a special focus on Kota Kinabalu as well. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcasts on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.